right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 45 here on July 21st. Um, reporting, uh, recording from out west again, took the family out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we are staying at the lovely secluded hidden gem known as the Tamaya Resort. It's a Hyatt property. I'm not getting paid for this plug, but I will tell my listeners that if they ever want to get away, this is the perfect spot to do it. It's it's about not quite halfway to Santa Fe, and uh, it is a hidden gem. Trust me. Got the kiddos here. The wife is in New York City, and uh, as a result, I am completely ill-prepared and hastily packed, so I don't have the greatest of equipment with me, but hopefully there won't be too much... uh, too many issues for our producers to have to clean up. Anyways, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Like always, I'm at my station. I'm working. I'm not on some damn vacation. <laughs> hey, when you have three kids, 13 and under, and you've got a whole summer, you got to figure out, you got to figure out how to fill some time. So, I, and you know, as COVID, if COVID showed us anything, we can work from anywhere. So. I, I, Lockdowns for everybody, except for us. <laughs> All right. Well, big week. Really? What's happened? For our favorite subject. Infrastructure. Yes. Fill us in. Give, give, us, the, give us the latest and the greatest. Well, we're putting this together on Wednesday afternoon. Um, I'm assuming that Schumer is serious about proceeding to his procedural vote. Um, he's gotten everybody's support to do it on the Democratic side. Um, it's going to fail. Right. And he knows it's going to fail. And what's weird is not the first time this has ever happened in the Senate, but they don't even have text yet. You know, so what Schumer's argument is we should vote to proceed and we'll send you the text later on when we get it. Um, so it's going to fail. And then all this stuff is either going to they're going to try again next week or it's going to get stapled on to reconciliation, that budget resolution that's that's sitting out there. I'm not sure which I, I don't even really care at this point. Yeah, well, for those who um, have, you know, haven't been following as closely as we have, the uh, uh, the Schumer started with fire and brimstone and has, has <laughs> been walking back his remarks a little bit. It, it, um, I feel kind of bad because I, I I'd have a lot more respect for him if he just did the jam the Republicans like okay here you know do it. you know vote for the thing or don't vote for it but we're doing our thing but like you say it turned into a Chuck Schumer. You know, I'm not really jamming anybody. I really want everybody to get along. And I'm just like, oh my God, just 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 do what you're gonna do. Yeah. All right. So just to fill folks in and, and to give uh, folks a flavor of what we're doing at the American Energy Alliance, because this is the American Energy Alliance podcast. Um, they announced that they're going to uh, proceed with a, a vote to move forward on the they're calling it a bipartisan infrastructure framework, which is a joke. Um, a framework, not a bill. Yeah, it's a it's a joke because there is no text. Uh, all there are outlines, and all there are are, are basically snippets from news articles that uh, were carefully um, reporters were carefully hand chosen by the White House to uh, be, be, be to have a read through. So. Select reporters at various liberal publications like the New York Times and others um, have been given a, a read through of what, what is this, this framework and, and no actual legislator, no elected representative um, has a copy of a piece of legislation yet because it doesn't exist as Mike pointed out. Um, but we do know that it's now about a $1.2 trillion uh, quote unquote framework. And uh, in addition to that, of course, they hastily passed through a, we talked about this, $3.5 trillion reconciliation slash budget package, which is obviously uh, has everything in the kitchen sink, including a quote unquote border adjustment mechanism or Car- a carbon carbon pollution abatement fee or program or what, I mean, basically the left's calling it anything but what it is, which is a 
energy tax, which is a carbon tax at the border. Um, in addition to the Nash, the clean energy quote unquote standard, which is basically a, a requirement by the federal government for utilities to produce certain types of electricity through, through their selected pet cho choices, namely wind and solar. And there's huge questions as to how they can actually do that in reconciliation um, because it is a, a tax issue. And um, as Mike knows, there's there are all kinds of questions about uh, the validity of being able to do this um, because of the, the way the tax the, the tax laws work. Anyway, we are a school. We scored against it. Uh, the American Energy Alliance has a scorecard, and we said we're we're scoring against the the procedural motion to proceed because really uh, that is the key vote, um, obviously, and uh, one of the key votes anyway. And so uh, that might happen. I think they filed today. Is that correct? Uh, they filed it Monday. We filed closure on Monday, so it ripens today. I'm not exactly they sure can, they're going to do it this afternoon, but they're going to do they it. This can, afternoon. They can choose to bring it up at this point whenever they want to. So that's where they are. And how many weeks behind was Politico and our analysis of this? About a week, um, which I give them full credit. You know, usually they run about three weeks behind me, but uh, but they must be reading my memos because they're starting to catch up a little bit. I mean, it, it they they figured out that when this thing fails, it's going to have to roll on to reconciliation. And that's going to, I forget exactly how they said it. I know how I said it in my monthly note. I'm like, that's going to slow and complicate consideration of the reconciliation thing, right? Because at three and a half trillion, it's already too big for most people. And when it gets to be four plus, 4.2, 4.3 trillion, it's really going to be a problem. And, you know, the thing is, the reconciliation is like this. They have $4 trillion worth of um, spending they want to do. There's probably enough votes for about a trillion and a half actual spending. So, because, you know, the tax increases are not going to happen. The, this carbon border adjustment thing's not going to happen. But I'm really grateful they gave it to us so we could run against it. And I'm really glad these chuckleheads are going to, some of these chuckleheads are going to vote for it. I hope they're going to vote for it. I have this terrible fear they're going to strip it out before they, we get a chance to get them on record. Well, I think that the way that I see this playing out is in order to placate the progressives, they've got to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, into it. And in order to get it through, whatever it ends up being, they're going to have to whittle it away until they get the votes in them as soon as they have the votes, as, as we yeah. have said on this podcast. Then they bring it to the floor. Um, and the progressives, are, just like the conservatives, the progressives are going to just suck it up, right? Yeah. That's usually what happens. Yeah, uh, the, the, the open question on this thing is, do, do the moderates make a stand at the budget resolution vote, right, which would be next week, week after, uh, the top line number? Or do they take the top line number and then, um, and then, spend the next four months shaving it down right and and i don't i don't know which is the best and i don't you know the, the moderates have to, the democratic moderates have to figure that out I, I think the best thing to do is be clear right, right at the top just say look here's our here's our top line number right you guys have your top line number but i could see they're just like okay we'll vote for that um the thing is is once you vote for that top line number you become pregnant because that resolution is going to have language in it on all this stuff on the carter border adjustment mechanism on EVs, on all this kind of crazy stuff. And if you vote for it, you're gonna wind up voting for it. You're gonna to have to eat it in a campaign. And if, if I'm a, if I'm John Tester, if I'm Mark Kelly, if I'm Raphael Warnock, the last thing I wanna do is like eat something that has no hope of actually occurring, right? Yeah, well, they, I mean, will they even have language by then? I mean, uh, you're going to have about the motion to proceed or? No, no, no. I'm talking about the budget resolution that's going to underpin the reconciliation, right? That resolution's going to have to have, I don't want to say detail. All the progressive candy in it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying detail, but it's going to outline like what the numbers are, including, by the way, for our purposes, a revenue raising number on the, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, right? It's going to lay out, it's going to be a big number. It's going to be like 600 billion, something like that. All we're going to do yeah, is- how, how, we, we know this because there's a huge gap right now in what they say they've raised versus what they what they actually have put out there prior to now. Yeah, they, have they about, haven't put. That's right. They have about six hundred billion dollars in revenue raisers there now. 
and they got three and a half trillion sitting there. So, I mean, my math's a little shaky, but I think that leaves you about $2.9 trillion short before you, even before you pour in the infrastructure stuff. So sorry, I'm laughing. It's just, when did we get to this point? <laughs> like we're throwing these numbers around. These well, I got, I got, I got massive, worse. massive numbers. I got worse number for you if it makes you feel any better. So the committee um, for responsible federal budget actually pointed out that, you know, if you scored this thing on a 10 year score, like you're supposed to and score the revenue raises on a 10 year score, like you're supposed to, the real number isn't 3.5. The real number is five. So, you know, it, 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 the wall street journal ran that, I think yesterday, that's too depressing to even contemplate. So I don't want to think about it. Also, I'm kind of annoyed the wall street journal ran it. I wanted to run it, but what are you going to do? Yeah, well, you can't get them all, big guy. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how I'm thinking about it. Can't shoot everybody. By the way, I am stuffed right now. We just came back from the Flying Star Cafe. Greatest, so. greatest, greatest place in Albuquerque. Probably the single best restaurant west of the Mississippi. Maybe Sam's number three is as good, but I don't know. My daughter, uh, I did not disappoint. I told my daughter that they were the best huevos rancheros I've ever eaten, and she yes. Ubered them. So, yes, they are. They, you know, if you're serious about the Flying Star, you go have like the huevos for breakfast or dinner. I've had them after focus groups for dinner <laughs> a few times. Um, and then you buy yourself either some a cookie or a pastry to go. So, you know, you have something, yeah. have something to nibble on when you get hungry later on. Yeah, yeah, as if. <laughs> on the way here, by the way, we stopped at Five Star Burger. Yeah, man. And I had the green chili burger, of course. So as our listeners can tell, I have been falling a little bit astray on my regimen. Uh, uh, so when, when I get back Saturday, I'm going to have to uh, buckle down and, and get, back into, back, get back into a routine. But I just figured I've... I'm out here. I'm just going to go for it. So good. I think that's that's right. How often are you in New Mexico, right? I'm telling you guys. I'm going to reiterate this. You guys got to come out here. It's such a beautiful state. It's crazy how 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 nice the weather is. Hot, nice and hot and dry in the day, and it cools way down at night. It's really good, as opposed to Vegas, where it, it drops down to the mid 90s at night. So maybe, maybe. All right, I strayed a little bit. I apologize. I just I just knew you love that place. So. Maybe you should move to New Mexico. I don't know. We got the Florida trip coming up, so we'll see how that goes. There you go. All right, just who introduced you to the Flying Star? Oh, that would be yours truly, no have doubt you, about it. Have you made it? To, have you made it to the shed yet? No, we're uh, we're heading to Santa Fe tomorrow. Tomorrow's our Santa Fe day. So. City, city of the Holy Faith. It's an excellent city. I like it a lot. So anyhow, um, so this is the big thing. And here's my question for you, Mike. <sighs> They're putting all their eggs in this basket. This, and it's heading towards uh, this reconciliation. What if they fail? Uh, what, I mean, they have to have, they have to produce some. Like, it just seems like they're in, in complete disarray right now. Um, like they've bitten off way more than they, that they, I don't, I don't, in other words, I don't see them playing chess here. I feel like they're 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 playing a game of like Jenga. Yeah, um, I, I think the 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 it's important it's important to have a sense of what's going to happen here, right? What's really going to happen here in the next three months, four months? Um, we are going to have price discovery, right? We are going to figure out what it is the moderates are going to be able to tolerate, and what the progressives are going to be able to tolerate, and that's going to take a while. The thing I don't get. And I mean this, uh, the thing I really don't understand is a blind man could see this with a cane coming at him from six months ago. I wrote about this six months ago at the top of January. I'm like, this, this these tax increases aren't going to happen. They're going to wind up with this great big giant number. Republicans aren't going to play. We're going to wind up reconciliation. What I don't get is how guys who get paid to do this for a living, and I mean United States senators now, um, didn't see it as well. And back in January, just didn't start negotiating with each other about, okay, what, what, what is our final number on this thing? Right. And the, the administration, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. The administration led by prime minister Klain has made it worse, right? Because they just, Hey, American family plan, American rescue plan, American infrastructure plan, um, American tax increase plan, 
know, they throw all these numbers out and like there's no way any any Congress could possibly absorb all these numbers and make sense of them. I mean, they just it it for guys who supposedly know a lot about how Congress works, dude, Congress is binary operation. Yes, no, this, that, six, ten, whatever, right? They they tend to do better when you give them choices, not when you just hand them a bunch of stuff. And I, I'm I'm and I think there's a one in three chance that they get nothing. That at the end of the day, we get a surface transportation reauthorization, we get an omnibus, and that's it. That they can't come to a deal. So well, I, I guess the question becomes: Is it like better to avoid a loss because I, I don't know who's going to blink first, the progressives or the moderates, right? And in these conversations, the ones who um, the ones who generally prevail are the ones who need to get reelected. Right? Well, uh, you, you, um, yeah. And I think that's what, that, let me give you some insight that you gave to me, right? Um, there's, there comes a point in the legislative process when somebody cares more about using the issue in a campaign than they do about getting the win. Um, now you, you probably said that to me 20 years ago, right? It was it was something I had never considered, but some I've never forgotten, right? And and um, I could easily see both sides deciding, you know what? I need the issue for the moderates. I need to be I need to appear to be a centrist Democrat, right? And for the progressives, I can't go below X number because I want to make sure, you know, I, I keep my street cred with the communists. Um, I could easily yeah. I, I could easily see those dynamics taking over. Yeah, they need the they need to to rail against the machine. Yeah. And in this case, the machine is within their own within their own party. Oh, right? I, I was going to say it's Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, and Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez. They don't care who the opponent is. They 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 recognize they recognize that um, people who believe in the efficacy of capitalism, in whatever measure, are the opponent, right? Yeah, and wouldn't it be interesting or ironic if if Schumer crapped the bed here and, and just blew it and she used it as her springboard to, to primary? Wipe him out. So, you know, it, it, so. I, I, you have to think some of that's going on, right? Yeah, well, I, I can't say I wish them all the luck in the world because I certainly don't. I wish them uh, no luck. The stuff that, the stuff that they're, they're pushing is horrible, horrible policy. Which will, which I don't even know how it benefits them ultimately in the long run, um, other than the fact that uh, they get to continue to, uh, you know, buy buy votes. Um, speaking of buying votes, I got my check the other day in the mail. Check for my child, my advance child oh, care tax credit. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you procreated. Congratulations. Here's three grand. <laughs> What, what is it? Is it thirty? Is it thirty six hundred per per kid? I don't remember the number, but uh, my check was like four hundred and twenty six dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, you make too much money. So, That's the problem. Too much. Yeah, you make too much. You got mean. You got means tested out of the really big money. My sister, <laughs> my sister, who's got like six kids at home under the age of eighteen. She like made seventy five thousand bucks. I mean, she she bought herself a house and a and a, and a, and a boat. Yeah. I mean, well, it, first I got the first I got the letter from the IRS. And do you remember how the Democrats railed when when President Trump nearly suggested that he was going to send out the PPP you know letter, the PPP loan letter? Uh, how dare him politicize the the IRS? Yeah, with a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, with his name, you know, you know, I I mean, Joe Biden did the same thing, right? I mean, he he put out he he put out a little letter saying, "Hey, here's some cash, good on you," right? Now they they sent me a physical check because I didn't give them my uh, direct deposit information. Yeah, but I I mean, I will warn my American, my fellow Americans, not to give the IRS any more information than you absolutely have to. I agree with so. that 100%. Yeah, well, congratulations on getting the money. That means you can buy lunch when you're back in town. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I was given no award or cash prizes for, for procreating at all. None. 
Just so you know, you, the problem is you you married too young and your kids are already out there making making meaningful uh, contributions to our society. Whereas mine are lounging by the pool, spending my money right now. So and you're like, dude, they're worth 130 bucks each to you. You should give them some kind of bump up and allowance. <laughs> I'm gonna give them all like a third of it, and they can spend it the way they want to. So. <laughs> Congratulations. This morning, my kid found a, uh, last night, my kid found a $20 bill in the pool area. Jeez and uh, I know it's raining money here in the pile. Seriously, what the home. hell? You guys should start but, uh, the lottery. You know what, though? He, he was, he, he, I actually have taught them something because he bought something for himself and then he bought something for his sisters. And he gave the, the lady a nice tip, bought me a cup of coffee, and he said, put the rest in the bank for me, Dad. So save it, spend it, and share it. And he actually did that without being prompted. So I'm actually doing something right. There you go. Yeah, and then, you know, you're all, you're all worried about him, and everybody turns out okay. Yeah, well, that's nothing. I mean, we, we still have a long way to go here. I got you know, you know, stop, stop, stop <laughs> listening to the, profession, the professional troublemakers. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you want to do now? You want to talk uh, billionaires going into space or uh, electric vehicles? If you want to talk billionaires going into space, you should probably do that because I really, I don't care. Um, you really should talk about Jim Lucier's, you know, Princeton roommate going into space. That's the important part of that story. Okay. So uh, everyone knows this. Uh, following Richard Branson's uh, not quite the line of whatever, blah, 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 flight into space where Jeff Bezos got mad and, and, and had a spat with him on Twitter. Uh, Bezos finally made it uh, on, <laughs> I don't know, have you seen the, the, the vessel? Yeah. Yeah, keep in mind, <laughs> this, is a family, this is a family podcast, so be careful. <laughs> There's all kinds of chatter on Twitter about that, but I'll read one quote. I'll read one tweet from uh, I, a gentleman who I've never heard of before, but uh, if only Georgia O'Keefe had been a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> that, I will post, that is I an incredibly delicate that. and graceful way to put it. <laughs> I will put that tweet in the show notes for, for those who, who N, what is that? NSFW image. Um, I, I don't have much to say on this overall overall other than uh i don't really care what they do with their money um i do i do think that though that if you are um and there was all kinds of great like just they just give us so much fodder right because i don't know if you saw this axios reported this um and i'm going to just read the quote jeff bezos out bezos how do you pronounce that last name hours after flying to space quote we need to take all heavy industry, all polluting industry, and move it into space and keep Earth as this beautiful gem of a planet that it is, unquote. Yeah. I, 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 and, and then he got on his private jet and flew to one of his 15 houses. Um, you know, it, it, it's difficult to take that seriously from a guy who literally literally just came back from a vanity project that um, increased his own epic carbon footprint by an enormous amount. Yeah, I, I'm going to see if we can crunch the numbers, but um, <laughs> and, and literally in his flying unit as well. He, so. he, you know, it, it um, no, these guys, like the progressives must be losing their mind right now. And then they wonder like, what, what's the problem? I mean, the, lecturing us about this, this beautiful planet of ours, when your company has one of the single largest footprints on the planet. There, there's, uh, forget the, forget the it, company. It, your individual footprint. I was going to say, there's, there's nothing, there is nothing more ridiculous than getting lectured about that kind of stuff and by a guy who has made hundreds of billions of dollars literally off of it. I mean, it's just, it's, yes. it's I don't even know why anybody listens to the guy. I mean, you know, he, 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 he's obviously got some issues. I mean, just yes. 
take a take it, a look, take a look at the rocket ship, dude. I'm like, you you know what this thing's all about right away. I'm like, he, <laughs> I don't want to say he's compensating, but he he probably pretty much compensating. Yeah, and then you know, of course you have um, you had Branson who also made most of his money off of you know burning burning jet fuel. I was so, gonna say, uh, he, runs a, he runs an airplane, right? Yeah, right yeah so it, it's just thank you for continuing to sh- uh, provide us with me- much much uh useful material for both the podcast and for our efforts to uh, point out the hypocrisy of some of these groups i did see one uh one thing where somebody said i wonder how many of these groups are going to complain about his space trip and it listed all the groups that he he gave his hundred billion hundred million dollar pledge to. So yeah, no, he's, including he's a super smart guy, right? He he's 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 spread the walking around money pretty generously, right? Yeah, and then we'll go ahead and check check his LDAs uh, to see how many hours that they've lobbied on on actually pushing this border adjustment tax, just to see how instrumental he was in trying to save the planet. So there you go. There you go. Okay, EVs. You got two things here. You uh, you picked this up from the Berkeley the Berkeley deal, the Berkeley Institute Energy, yeah, whatever, right? Yeah, I think it's the Haas Institute of Energy at the University of California at Berkeley, right? These guys do. These are a group of economists. They do great work, great work. Um, and the guy who runs them is a guy named Seth Borenstein. He does he does spectacular work. Has for a number of years. He actually, and by the way, he's not our um, philosophical running running partner at all right he he, he yeah he, he is probably as far to the left as i am to the right um but sev was the guy who did the breakthrough work on evs basically are, are the province of of uh, rich dudes right um yeah yeah so one of his guys did a did a bit about um, electric light trucks right light trucks and suvs and how you know they're way more than 50 percent of sales now and that if if electrification is going to work. It has to work in the light truck segment. And the interesting thing is right at the end of his write-up, he said, hey, man, we're going to know in the next, we're going to be able to tell in the next 18 months whether whether the electrification, you know, has a, has a chance of success, whether, whether, whether electrification has a chance of success in the electric, in the light truck and SUV segment, right? Which is funny because you and I have been talking for the last six months about all these investments from Ford and General Motors and whatnot, you know, we're about to see what happens when electric vehicles hit consumers, right? Are consumers going to buy them or are they going to ignore them? Um, and, and I, you know, I don't know. And this guy from Cal Berkeley didn't know either. And, you know, we're both going to watch this experiment at the same time. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. interested in that. Right. And then the other thing, that if I'm that guy at Cal Berkeley, I'm rooting, I'm not really rooting against it. I'm, I'm rooting that the consumers have final say. You know, guy at Cal Berkeley, yeah. he's rooting for them to buy electric trucks, right? Yeah. Um, been interesting. So the, the author is Andrew Campbell and, the, and they, do, they do mention uh, work by Bornstein and a, another colleague, Lucas Davis. Yeah. Yeah, they, they mentioned have, Go ahead. Yeah, they show the re- regressivity of of the rebates because they're harping the rebates as sort of the most successful tool. And again, for those who don't live in Washington, rebates are, of course, subsidies, uh, and um, they are indeed highly regressive. Uh, the vast proportion of the subsidies for electric vehicles go to very wealthy people, uh, and mostly live in two states, New York and California. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and everybody's all excited about the Ford 150 getting electrified. But if you look at it, um, its walkout price is like ninety grand. I mean, you 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 can buy a you can buy a fully tricked out one fifty gas for like sixty grand, fifty five sixty grand. So you're you're talking about something that's fifty percent higher. I'm having trouble imagining people are going to buy that, even with whatever subsidies they can scrape together from state and and federal, right? Even with the extra twelve grand it's still going to be really expensive and you're still going to have to switch the battery pack out after five years. I'm just like, I, I don't know, maybe the public, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe they're, they're ready for it, but I don't think they are. The other thing, the other piece of news 
was the, our, our friends at Rivian, right? Basically announced, hey, our supply chains are all screwed up because of COVID. So we're not going to make any of our dates, right? We're not going to, yeah. we're not, not going to ship product anywhere near where we said we were going to. Um, the interesting thing by about- By the way, Rivian is heavily uh, 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 invested uh, by Amazon. Yeah, so. well, Amazon's a, you know, they, I mean, they, in the, in the press, in the press, they identify Amazon as a partner. Um, which means, you know, usually it's 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 more than invested, right? It's got a pretty big chunk of ownership. Um, they say, Plus, yeah. they uh, they want they want to build. They want the they're basically betting that they'll provide them with the fleet. Sure, sure. So you know the but but so the thing the two things about this, right? One is they waited really late. Like they they're supposed to have like product up in September, and they said, yeah, we're not going to make September. We we may make December. So right away I'm like, right. you know, let, you know the, the the skeptic in me is always like right away like I don't know about this. Um, then the other thing is, and I can't remember the name of it now. My mind is starting to get Swiss cheesy. <laughs> there was an electric uh, company, electric car company out of Lordstown, electric truck company out of Lordstown um, that recently basically just folded up because it it too, this is how it started. It said, well, we're not going to be able to make our numbers, and then three months later, yeah, we're not really. That those numbers really don't we don't really didn't have those numbers right they were they were um projections and then you know the sec swooped in and what was the name of that company it doesn't really matter um this is a this is a that was the one that ford i think was invested in i think so this is a pretty which by uh, which by the way you know these companies invest in these quote-unquote startups and then of course that I think is a loophole around the, the cap on the EV subsidies, right? Yeah. It, so. it, I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem to matter, right? The, the, I keep coming back to this point and, and nobody seems to want to tell me how I'm wrong. Battery capacity, the, the, the capacity to manufacture batteries um, is pretty finite on this planet, right? And the um, reality of it is, is that Sometimes the battery manufacturers make money by um, selling it to car manufacturers, and sometimes they make money by selling it to utilities, but they fairly routinely cancel orders um, because they know they're, they're um, you know, they know they have no competition. So I, I just think this, I have not taken a deep dive into supply chains for electric vehicles. I get the feeling they're pretty shaky. They're pretty, pretty shaky. And, and yeah, by, by the way, it's no more comp. It's no more complicated. It's Lordstown Motors, right? Lordstown. Thank you. I knew it was yeah, Lordstown. Lordstown. I just couldn't remember the name of the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah. Look, and again, we're not bet. We don't care. I mean, if if this stuff is truly transformative, great. But it's it, it's not, right? If the goal, this is the existential threat uh, segment of this of this. If the goal here is to uh, reduce emissions, there are lots of things that, that could be done with the uh, existing use of uh, ICE vehicles, right? Uh, you know, we, we didn't, we never got over the, the knocking in the pinion of diesel, right? Um, to actually move more, more uh, passenger vehicles onto diesel because you get a hell of a lot better mile per gallon, right? Yeah. And also, I don't, I mean, I don't think necessarily that it should be mandated, but, you know, jack up the octane and you get better gas mileage, right? And a lot of these vehicles like are, are moving to turbo engines again, like they're, they've, they've improved that a little bit. I know back when I bought my, when I bought a Saab, um, because I thought it'd be cool to drive around in a turbo engine. Plus, it was it, GM bought them, and so I got the discount uh, through my dad. I loved it; it was great. Except it farted, <laughs> literally. Like every now and then, you get this like puff of sulfur in the in the car, right? Like it was weird. It was just very strange. Uh, and I think they've come a long way on that stuff too, right? So, you know, there are things you can do to stretch uh, fuel economy. Um, if you really cared about, uh, you know, imp reducing CO2 emissions, but they, they want to force this, right? They want to force this. 
Um, and it, it's really hard to force something on somebody. It's like when I was a kid and I didn't want to eat my, you know, shepherd's pie because it had peas in it, you know, uh, how long did I sit at the dining room table until either I gave up or, or gave in, right? It's just, it's just a weird way of like running an economy is, you know, forcing things on people that actually make, don't make as much sense. It's just, it, this is the issue. We don't, at least I don't anyway, I don't care about the tech. I don't care about the, like, I'm not wedded to, to status quo. It's just, I'm, I'm so, so strongly against all of this industrial policy making and everything else that's going on. Um, and it's not good for folks, right? It's, well, it, it's, it's just not good for people. It's, it's highly regressive stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it puts people in jeopardy. I mean, the, the, the academic in me, um, I, I'm really interested in how this thing turns out because I'm fairly confident that fewer than 15% of the American people know that the president has in his head that he wants to ban internal combustion engines by 2035, right? And, and I think it's really going to be a shock to him, right? It's going to be a shock to them when they find that out. So I'm just not sure what the citizenry does when they're confronted with this. I, I have to think that some significant chunk pushes back because they're, they like their cars. I think some significant chunk pushes back because they don't like to be told what to do. And I think some significant chunk pushes back just because they don't like Joe Biden, right? I mean, it, it, but I could be, like I said, I could be totally wrong. But the great thing is everybody on the other side of this is just proceeding as if, we're going to tell everybody what to do and everyone's just going to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, I literally can't think of a single time in American history when that's worked. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Well, the conclusion of this article is from the Haas Institute is like you said, supposedly, unless we get more uh, Rivian type announcements. So a bunch of these trucks are going to come online here um, and we'll have, we'll see, right? Yes. We'll see. Yeah, I was going to say we're that's the great thing, right? We we are about to migrate from the um, from theoretical to the actual, right? We're 18 months from now. We're going to have a hell of a lot of data about what people buy and what they don't and what they think about it and all that other stuff. And last thought on this, I'm very grateful that the president went out to an electric to drive an electric truck somewhere. I can't remember where he went. Um, he, 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 you know, it's going to make it much easier to brand the thing. Hey, this is a Biden truck. And I guess, my guess is about 75% of truck pickup truck drivers now, owners in this country, um, didn't vote for the president. So, you know, it, 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 if, if I were in the business of selling electric pickup trucks, I would have said, please don't come here. Please, please, please don't come here. But he did. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think these auto companies are kind of like utilities nowadays in that they're just like, all right, well, just tell me what I got to do, boss, and I'll do it. And as long as I can pass the cost on, no skin yeah. off of my nose. Right. Yeah. There's an important difference between um, there's an important difference between electricity and cars. Literally, no one cares about electricity until it doesn't work. But everybody cares about what kind of car they drive everybody yeah well that's a good segue in, in terms of you know the the mix of forcing people and assuming people you know there's all this talk about uh, you know the the unvaccinated um and you know what are these root causes and all the news um the news dis, uh, the propaganda distribution networks are are starting to now create this narrative that this is a new pandemic of the unvaccinated and blah, blah, blah. And we've had a, a few a few items pop uh, on this. Uh, one of them I will play. This is our buddy, not our buddy, but this is our president, um, Joe Biden. And uh, one of his off the cuff remarks. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, they look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that's, and, they're, and they're killing people. 
Okay, so the, there's a bunch of questions about whether Facebook's killing people or if Biden just sort of in his mind heard a different phrase, something along the lines of, what is your message to people who are spreading false information on Facebook or something along, something along those lines? Um, so that was one. And then... Uh, <laughs> Here's circle back. Ready? I'm going to play this one real quick. Sure. So a couple of the steps that we have, um, you know, that could be constructive for the public health uh, of the country are uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. Taking faster act action against harmful posts. Okay, and then here's one more from Circle Back. Uh, with these social media platforms uh, and those uh, engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, but also members of our COVID-19 team. Uh, given as Dr. Murthy Mur uh, conveyed, uh, this is a big issue of misinformation specifically on the pandemic. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out. Okay. So and then there was an exchange that I'm not going to play, but I'll put in the show notes between Saki and the new Robert uh, Bobby. Is it Robert Acosta, the CNN guy? Um, Jim Acosta. Jim, Jim, sorry, yeah, you can tell how much I care about CNN, um, where he basically was like, how long have you been spying on the American people, right? And she just, they just went at it back and forth for a little while. And then finally, I want to play one more clip, and this is not from, um, this is not from the United States government, but it is from the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, and I'm going to play this and then I'm going to uh, open up the floor for conversation. We will share with you the most up-to-date information daily. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. For that information, do feel free to visit at any time to clarify any rumour you may hear, covid19.govt.nz. Otherwise, dismiss anything else. We will continue to be your single source of truth. We will provide information frequently. We will share everything we can, uh, everything you are, else you see, um, a grain of salt. Uh, and so I really ask people to focus. So all right, that's all I got for clips. That's, that's, um, I have been trying to figure this out for like six months, a year now. Yeah. What is, I don't know what misinformation means, and I don't know what disinformation means, and no one's ever defined it for me. So I do know this, right? I always get nervous whenever somebody says, anything that anybody else says is wrong, we're the only guys who are giving you the truth. Right away, I'm like, whoops, that, that, that seems a bit much, especially when it comes from a government official, especially with that god-awful horrible accent. <laughs> no, I know, I knew you were going to say that. I don't know. I, this is... I mean, this is psychotic, this it, is what she just said. I mean, this is like, all right, we're, we're the only source, we, the government, are the only source of your information. Uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> if you're, if that's your, if that's really, you know, if the government's the only source of information, you're, you're done. You, you might as well just sign up right now because you're, you're hopeless. So Facebook pushed back a little bit um, because they wanted to make it clear. Facebook, I totally dug what Facebook did. You know, the administration came after him and the president said, you're killing people. Uh, and I thought that's that's some odd choice of words for a guy who has is now in favor of the Hyde Amendment, um, but he's still got a rosary in his pocket. Um, 
I, I, I was pleased to see that Facebook's finally an American corporation like pushes back and says, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your freaking mind? I dug it. I kind of dug yeah. it. Sorry, you were going somewhere. No, I was just going to say, and, and Ducey, the exchange with Ducey, which is long, so I won't play it, was basically like, well, you know, early on in the convers in this conversation, the venerable, honorable, you know, his highness, Prince Fauci, said not to wear masks. So should we be, should that information have been, should that information be pulled from Facebook? Like, and her response was, well, you know, science is, uh, you know, constantly moving and changing and updating. And we're, ba you know, basing these, this, these, these messages on the latest information that we have. Right. Yeah. Um, but what, so who's, who's, who's promoting the misinformation and who's not, and who's responsible for the vaccine hesitancy. And this is why I brought this up after your, your riff on, on EVs and choice and things like that. And, and the Biden mobile. Right. I mean, part of this is because they're pushing so hard for it and people have a knee jerk response or, or, uh, you know, negative re reaction to Biden, obviously, but these, these guys were at it too. And let me play us. Uh, I found another one of one of now what is becoming my famous supercuts. Um, so I want to play this, this to wrap this segment up. Just to show, you know, which misinformation should be pulled and which misinformation shouldn't. So let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. If and when the vaccine comes, it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? You could be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. And the question of whether it's real when it's there, that requires enormous transparency. We've got to make all of it available to other experts across the nation so they can look and see. So there's consensus. This is a safe vaccine. If the president announced tomorrow we have a vaccine, would you take it? Only if it was completely transparent that other experts in the country could look at it. Only if we knew all of what went into it. If Donald Trump can't give answers and administration can't give answers to these three questions, the American people should not have confidence. But if Donald Trump tells us I should that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Yeah, um, it it. I saw that mashup, right? And and I I have the same thought that you do, right? If you if you have if you have a question about vaccine hesitancy, all you need to do is look at the hash that the public health community has made of this entire issue. And then, you know, like you say, pick up a couple of decent quotes from our current president and our current vice president. It, it is, you know, this, this thing has been politicized and like I said, chopped up in the hash since the get-go. What else? Anything? I got two other, I got three other things, but they're, they're short. You want them? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do uh, that. And I think I've got one, um, I got something to close with too. So. Okay, so so three three bits of three bits of news. Well, two bits of news and then one personal thing. Right, um, Brisbane won the twenty thirty two Olympics, Summer Olympics. I don't know if that you noticed that. Actually, three bits of news and one personal thing. Brisbane won the twenty thirty two Summer Olympics. The interesting thing about that is it'll be Australia's third time hosting the Olympics, the Summer Games. But more important than that, they won it without competition. The Olympics have become the point. Uh, the Olympics have gotten to the point where they are a burden, and nobody wants them. Um, I do not mean to minimize the great city of Brisbane. I've never been there. I'm sure it's lovely, um, full of lovely people. But the fact that nobody competed for it tells you something, right? So that's one. Uh, two. Well, uh, do you want to? Do you want to? Should we dive a little in there? I mean. If you want, I mean, they're I, not really ratings getters anymore, right? So, yeah, I mean, they're part of it. The enormous expense of of the quote unquote infrastructure uh, to to put these shows together is probably another, right? Yeah. Uh, the fact that they're adding like eighteen thousand sports quote unquote events, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know what underwater dancing is or whatever 
other things have been added recently. Um, that's probably a factor as well, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. It, 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 it's shocking because I'm old enough to remember when the Olympics were a thing, right? Especially the summer games were a thing. Thing number two is there have been now, I believe, 45. The number might be higher. <clears throat> Catholic churches burnt mostly in Western Canada in the last month and a half, last six weeks. Um, most recent was a Coptic church. Um, <clears throat> this comes in the wake of <clears throat> the discovery of more extensive burial remains um, than had previously been thought under at rather at uh, what were homes for indigenous children, right? Yeah. Um, now everybody has tried to make this like, hey, it's the indigenous people burning these churches down. That is not in fact the case. Cases, these are from tape that we have from eyewitness accounts. This is uh, this is white progressives who are burning these churches down. It's a huge problem in Canada, um, and and something has to be done about it. Justin Trudeau, of course, if these were mosques, would um, be out there putting them out by hand. But um, so far, no one's noticed it in the states. Just a matter of time. Probably just a matter of time till this kind of thing starts in the states too. So that's thing number two, something to watch for, something to enjoy. How about if we say something to enjoy? I wouldn't call it enjoyment, but do you want to, can I segue for a sec before you? Sure. I'm trying to get my head around this Latin mass thing by, yeah. by the Pope. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? I actually anticipated this at the top of his papacy, right? Um, you know, Pope Francis has been opposed to the extraordinary form, right? The Latin rite mass for ever, right, since he was a bishop in Argentina. Um, so like I said, I expected this nine years ago when he took over. Um, it took quite a while to get here, but he did it you know, somewhat unilaterally and abruptly. Well, I th well, he's the Pope, right? He can do whatever he wants unilaterally. The interesting thing is, is it was a direction, right? It, it wasn't, he didn't say, hey, this is an illegitimate mass. What he said was, hey, he said something I agree with. He said, look, um, these two forms can't exist forever, right? The extraordinary and the ordinary form of the Roman rite. Eventually, everyone's going to have to wind up doing the same form. Um, I agree with that 100%. I'm sure 100 years from now, we are not going to be saying two forms of the Roman rite. The difference between me and the Pope is I'm pretty confident the Latin mass is going to win. He's pretty confident the, the vernacular mass is going to win. I'm willing to let it, I'm willing to let the Holy Ghost decide he's not, right? This attempt at suppression is going to fail, and I'll tell you why, because he he flinched at the crucial moment. When you read the whole thing, he's like, hey, I'm counting on my fellow bishops to do the right thing here and guide the people who have been in Latin masses back towards the Roman rite of Paul VI, and uniformly, um, the bishops who have entertained Latin masses are like, no, yeah. we, are, we are not going to, we are not going to make those guys go back into, into, into um, regular parishes. And I'll tell you why. First off, a good chunk of these bishops are actually sympathizers, right? They, yeah. they, they say the mass themselves privately, but more importantly, an even larger chunk of them love this Latin mass deal because it puts all their problem children in one or two parishes and they don't have to listen to us bark at them. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, okay, we're just going to put all you crazies off on the side, do your thing. Right. And that's what happens. So the idea that you're all of a sudden going to try to intermingle um, Latin mass guys with regular parishes, all that's going to do is create problems. So the Pope sees yeah. what I see. The Pope sees what I see that the longer you let the Latin mass hang around, the worse the vernacular mass looks. Yeah. You know, just a, just a matter of time, two generations, three, four, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Um, we're heading back towards where we were. Yeah. I found it interesting too, that um, he weighed in on the, uh, on the movement here to deny uh, Eucharist for those who uh, espouse the the pro-choice you know uh, mantra it's a, yeah. it's a, it's an i think that you know i as you know uh, anyone who gives greta thunberg and bono a platform um uh, and can be 
somewhat divisive himself. Uh, I think he views both of these decisions as removing some div either potential divisiveness or device divisiveness. So, I, I mean, I, like I said in the beginning of this conversation, I'm still thinking it through, but I do, I do think that, um, I, let me just put it, put it this way. I, I don't get, I don't take my political advice from from Pope Francis. Well, I'll make it clear. I'll, I'll be clearer than that. He's a terrible pope. He's a bad leader, and he's a bad dogmatist, and he's probably a bad person. Fortunate for us that most of my adult life, I've lived under the the reign of very good popes. So one in particular. So, Holy so. Ghost is going to do what he's going to do, and you know what? The rest of us are just going to have to take it because we're not. It's not a quiz show. We don't get to ask the Holy Ghost. What are you thinking, buddy? We so, do. so to at, at the risk of of getting eye rolls from our listeners, we will move on. And what was your last thing? I got, I got two other things. First off, um, I don't. We don't care about our listeners. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you, by the way, Lou. Real quick for making a chart, Lou. Loop I'm going to put your chart in the show notes, Lou, and we're going to feature it in the pipeline tomorrow. So appreciate your uh, being inspired by us. Lou is doing what he's doing. He's making us look smart, which is a hell of a difficult thing, right? Um, uh, two last things. One is, uh, as we came to as we came to uh, to tape this thing, Speaker Pelosi rejected two of. Um, of Congressman McCarthy's picks to be on the January 6th commission. Um, she rejected Jim Banks and Jim Jordan. You stole uh, one of mine, but that's fine. Which I have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, she did us a great big giant favor because, uh, you know, uh, and she did both of those guys a great big giant favor. They're going to make their careers on as I, anyway, um, that January 6th thing is petering out even as we're coming towards it. The other thing is they had their first felony conviction. I'm going to write about this, so I don't want to get too far out ahead of myself. First felony conviction um, of any of the protesters, insurrectionists, rioters, whatever, um, trespassers. Um, the guy got an eight-month, he got he pled out to an eight-month um, sentence for obstructing uh, a public official obstructing a public official. That's the one felony count they've come up with so far. So far, the rest of the rest of them have been trespassings and whatnot. I'm waiting around for the first uh, charge of treason or insurrection against the United States, rebellion against the United States. So far, nothing. So I just want to say this, this January 6th thing, I hope it's good. I'm hoping it's good because the judicial system has done what it's done and robbed everybody the ability to make, make, um, make hay from it. Okay, last thing for me. Uh, I wrote my July note. In it, I wrote that we were going to have open primaries in 2024, that neither President Biden nor former President Trump were going to run in their party's primaries. Uh, my editor, the very excellent Colonel Dave Jonas, um, suggested that I hedge that. I want to um, make it clear and double down on it in 2024. Neither President Biden nor former President Trump are going to run for their party's nomination for president of the United States. I would actually not bet money against that. Um, I'm leaning in that direction, looking at what's going on here, because if and when this reconciliation bomb uh, explodes, there's going to be a lot of shrapnel and uh, he's going to a lot of finger pointing is going to is going to head his way and it's going to be uh, probably an LBJ deal, right? Like kind of an LBJ moment for, 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 for Biden. So. Yep. 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 Um, I don't, I actually was going to end with a, uh, uh, the Washington post got something right. They fact checked rep Jim Clyburn's claim that no Democrat has opposed voter ID laws. Um, and the, the <laughs> shockingly, uh, the Clyburn camp is is squirming, and and this was a an interview with with Neil Cavuto on the Fox uh, on Fox News on July thirteenth, and uh, he said, "I don't know why people keep misrepresenting stuff. There's not a single time I have ever voted in my life that I've 
ever voted in my entire life, and I'm going to be 81 next week, that there's not a single time that I have voted that I did not ID myself. Blah, blah, blah. I never said you should not have voter ID. Uh, uh, it goes on and on and on. <laughs> so anyway, I just, I'm, I'm shocked that the Post actually did this. I, I, I will point out when they do something good and right. Um, but I will uh, uh, close the unregulated podcast this week with uh, uh, an old Clyburn tweet from 2020. Long lines, long voting lines, closed polling stations, voter ID laws. They're all voter suppression. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love you, Jimmy. It's like, scrub your tweets, bro, before you, <laughs> before you make a statement. I love you, Jim, but it's probably time for you to, to step off stage. All right. I'm going to go out and enjoy the, the New Mexican sun. We're going to count on the producer to make this sound good. And I'm going to go and survey to see if my children are still alive at this point. So. If they're picking up 20 bucks at random places. Yeah. <laughs> I do see, I can look out my window here in the hotel and I do see that they already have some snacks. So they're taking advantage of my uh, gift of them that they could order anything they wanted from the snack bar. So. <laughs> and I also gave them their own keys. So they feel so empowered on this trip. It's just, it's kind of actually pretty cool, so. All right, I don't, I don't approve, but okay. <laughs> Adios. See ya. Hey.